We are in Vision Month right now. And uh, each Sunday, I'm going to read out this month what I call the Dreaming for the Decade, C3 Powerhouse in the 2020s. Danielle and I, for, for 18 months or so, have been praying together and uh, praying about the church and what we see. And so I wrote this piece on an airplane flying back from Sydney on the 1st of January, on the first day of the 20s, and I want to read it to us right now. Uh, I see our church in a season of revival. A powerful move of God with radical salvations, healings, and young people being apprehended for the call of God. I see extraordinary momentum with a thousand people saved in a year, increasing until one day we see a thousand people saved across a weekend. I see us being a leadership factory, training, raising up, and empowering leaders who are brilliant disciple makers. There is a multiplication of leaders of all ages who are gripped by a strong and unshakable call of God, which causes them to lay down their lives for the gospel. I see us established in our new premises on Power Road. It's a landmark facility. This will be a demonstration of God's power, a result of a series of miracles that echoes across the nations. The Lord will be glorified for doing exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think. I can see, I see new church locations starting with Melbourne in 2020, believing for five new church plants over the course of the decade. I see these locations supernaturally in their own buildings because we broke through first here on the Sunshine Coast. I see our church filled with influencers and entrepreneurs, innovative, cutting edge, marketplace leaders who excel in every sphere of society, government, media, sport, entertainment, education, business, and more. Entrepreneurs who set the standard for business excellence, leadership, and wealth creation. I see our church consistently experiencing powerful healings. There is a breakthrough anointing on our church. People get healed in their seats during worship and watching online. People are flying in to be in our services because they've heard miracles are happening in C3 Powerhouse. I see us being known for kindness into our community. Our reputation is for generosity, compassion, and practical help for those who are in need. I see us as a haven of love, hope, and acceptance for all, radiating God's love into our community and beyond. This is the C3 powerhouse of the 20s that we see. If you believe it, why don't you give the Lord some praise, clap our hands, thank Him for what He's got for us. All right, well, we're in week two of a series that I began last week called It's Time breaking intimidation. Who's, who's been praying daily out of last week, uh, re- repenting and getting free from things? Awesome. Good job. Uh, we're going to do this four-week series. I'm going to be preaching each, each uh, service in the month of February around this concept, and I'll catch you up a little bit today. But if you weren't here, can I strongly encourage you to listen to last week and, and, and get a hold of what God's doing? We're going to finish this series uh, on the, uh, with a seven days of prayer and fasting beginning on the 24th of February. Fasting's back, church. Yeah, okay, all right, not as much enthusiasm there. It's okay. Uh, And so this year we'll do three, seven days of prayer and fasting. The first one will be the 24th of February. It'll be about really locking into what God's done in our hearts in this month. 
Uh, just to catch you up, last week uh, I just shared this, that last year a renowned prophet David McCracken came and told us that on God's calendar, 2020 was written down for this church as a year of supernatural breakthrough. That's for you, for me, for us as a church. He talked about two keys, being breaking intimidation and having fresh encounters with God. So we're leaning into this whole uh, topic of breaking intimidation. I'm particularly drawing from my own experience of many years of learning to overcome intimidation, but especially last year when I went on a six-month daily journey that radically transformed my life, my thinking, and my confidence. And really, it's out of that experience that I'm preaching because I want you to have that same experience that will be transformative in your life. All right. So let's talk about intimidation, just to catch up. Intimidation is a demonic spirit and strategy that robs us of godly confidence and stops us entering into God's best for our life. We'll put that up the screen there. There it is. It's a demonic spirit and strategy that robs us of godly confidence and stops us entering into God's best for our life. Uh, This is what happens. God has got blessing for every one of us who are His children. And and he wants to increase our influence for the sake of the kingdom of God. And every time an opportunity comes up where God's desire is another level of blessing or another level of influence, then in that new level of blessing and influence, there will always be demonic opposition against you, trying to intimidate you to say, sit down, shut up, stay where you are. You're not worthy of that blessing. You're not worthy of that influence. You need to just you know, go away and forget about it. That's the spirit of intimidation. Get lost, sit down, shut up, or strive in your own, your own strength to prove those lies wrong. So intimidation is based upon lies, uh, lies that have got into our heart. Uh, sometimes the intimidation is just short term and it can be a simple phrase that somebody says that, that's got a spirit on it and it bounces around in our head and we are robbed of our confidence. We come under a heavy cloud and we just feel like giving up or, or checking out or not, not worrying and that's because it's got into our head and it could be a, a well-meaning person or even a friend, but that thing they said has a spiritual power that knocks us back. Or if that goes around in our head for too long, after a while, instead of it being you're this or you're that, you're not good enough, you're, you're this, it can get into our hearts, not just our head, and it becomes I am this. And we start to think it's truth. Subconsciously, it's in our heart. I am not good enough. I am not worthy. I am unlovable, whatever it might be. And you'll find that each one of us will have lies from the enemy that don't line up with how God sees us. And and so often those lies are what the basis of intimidation is. Those lies often get into our heart through experiences we've had growing up, through family uh, values or or, or just things that we've caught in our family of origin as we've grown up. It's like, well, this this is just normal. We don't know any different. Maybe it's negative experiences, things that have happened to us, failures we've had, setbacks we've had, or maybe it's something we've been educated and it's not truth, but we've learned to believe it and it's, and it's, false, it's false. And so I put up a screen of lies last week and I want to do it again just as we're recapping. There's just a whole lot of lies that can be written on our heart that we believe. Lies like I'm too old. 
I'm inferior. That was a lie that I believed for years. I'll talk a bit more about that. I'm not good enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm unworthy. I'm not smart enough. I'm not gifted enough. I'm dumb. I'm cast aside. I'm a second class Christian. I'm rejected. I'm a failure because of my past failures. I'm disqualified by my past. I'm not holy enough. I don't have enough faith. I'm invisible. I'm going to get hurt again if I step out. I'm going to fail again if I step out again. I've got no voice. I'll never measure up. I don't have what it takes. I don't belong here. I don't fit in. I can't, uh, th- those two particularly, the devil will try and put into Christians where God is trying to make you part of the church family and he'll get this lie, I don't fit in, I don't, be- I-, I don't belong here. And what happens with intimidation lies is not only do we believe them, we think everybody else thinks those same things about us. But it's not actually true, but that's part of the lie. Everyone else thinks I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, or I don't fit in. Uh, I can't tell the real truth or I'll be rejected. Massive one that will stop you getting free. I can't tell people that or they'll, push, they'll, they'll reject me. Uh, I'll never see breakthrough, I'll never have enough, I'll never be healed, I'm not cut out for this, I'm not as good as insert awesome person. I'm never going to change. Uh, lots of people, I know you've taken photos of this as a prayer point to say, God, reveal to me what's the lie in my heart. Because often it's not obvious. Often it's something that's just seeped into your subconscious. And we need the Holy Spirit to actually reveal what's the lies that I've believed. Okay, th- those lies might not be about me. They might be about God. These might be things that you've grown up believing or taught or thought uh, that God is angry, he's harsh, he sees me as guilty. If you've grown up in a very religious environment, your, your perspective of God will be that he's harsh and he's, and he's angry and you're guilty, okay? That, that'll be your perspective. He can never forgive my past. He favors others, etc., etc. And if, if these are lies, the first point or the first step to getting free from lies, and we've given a little handout for each one of us to grab a hold of, and the, the first step is here is to recognize the lie and then repent for believing the lie. Not just blame somebody else, I'm like this because of them, but actually I believe that lie. It's got into my, my thinking, it's the way I think. I've, I've come into agreement with a lie from the devil. And so I'm going to repent of being in agreement. And, and it's simply this, and I've, I've, I shared this thought last week, that this preaching won't change your life. I know, and that, I'm a pastor who, who loves preaching. This preaching will, put the, will shine the lights on, and it'll give you the keys, but you've got to go to work. If you go to work out of this preaching on a daily basis, and even if you miss a day, just do the next day, okay? But on a daily, if you do the work and partner with the Holy Spirit and follow these steps, it will change your life. We'll get to Powerhouse Conference at the end of July this year, and you will be unrecognizable if you do the work, all right? And so the first step is on a daily basis, and I, tell you, I took last year about five minutes each day, and I still do it, and it's still the favorite part of my prayer time because of how much, how much of a confidence lift I get when I come out of this moment every day. And it's just, I recognize and repent the lie. And so for me, Lord, I recognize and repent. I believe the lie of the enemy that I'm inferior to others. Because what I would do is I'd see someone who's at that next level or more successful than me, and I'd compare myself to them, and I'd end up feeling bad and beating myself up. And, and so all this spirit and emotions would all go together, and I'd feel overwhelmed. Because I, so I repent of believing the lie, and then I repent of my actions that go with the lie. 
I repent of comparing myself. It's a sin. I'm saying you didn't do a good enough job when you made me, God. I'm sorry. I repent. I'm not, I, I actually pray a prayer. I make a covenant with my heart that I won't compare myself with others. Then I say, I repent of being critical of those who are more successful than me to pull them down to my level. I make a covenant with my lips that I won't be critical of others. When you pray that every day, you find that what, what is happening is God is, it's not that you repent for forgiveness. You, re, you do the first time or whenever you do that stuff, but really repenting is changing your mind. And I'm repenting for changing my mind because in my heart and mind, I've believed a lie and I want, to get, I want to get rid of it. That's the first step. So I hope you've begun that. If you haven't, you can begin to do that. And I want to talk now about what's the second step because I want to tell someone it's time you got free from intimidation. It's time that you stop second guessing yourself. It's time that you stop missing the opportunities that God wants you to step into, but intimidation is robbing you. It's time you stop beating yourself up for the mistakes of your past because God's not. It's time that you stop waiting for someone else to encourage you when God's given you promises that can be directly in your heart. It's time to break through from intimidation. All right, here we go. So, 24 years ago, I'm in this church, not this building, in the Kiwana Community Center, fairly newly married. There's a move of God happening where God's pouring out his spirit and love on people. And I'm responding to the altar call, hungry for God. And I'm standing there sincerely and hungry for God to touch me. And when, every now and then I'll open my eyes and alongside of me, everyone's lying on the floor over here and everyone's lying on the floor over there. There's tears, there's laughter. Everyone's having their own personal move of God except me. And all I'm feeling is zip, nada, zilch, nothing, nothing's going on. I'm like, God, what's wrong? Is there sin in my life? Is, have I done something? Why are they experiencing you, but I'm not experiencing you? Why am I not having this outpouring that other people are, are receiving? And, and God began, I remember specifically, God began to take me on a journey. And he began to show me some things that had happened in my past that were affecting me in the way that I was looking at myself and the way I was viewing God. He began to show me what happened to me uh, when I was in year seven and year eight at high school where I moved into a, a high school and, and you know, kind of here's a, uh, here's, here's a little quick summary of my background. I grew up in a fantastic Christian family, beautiful Christian parents. Uh, they, they really, my, my parents put a hunger for God and a, a strong sense of the call of God deep into my heart. They demonstrated sacrificial Christianity. They were missionaries. They, my parents were amazing. And, and, and so th that, that's kind of the story. But one of the things that happened, both my mom and dad were of an older generation. And, and so in my house, there wasn't any particular, there, there really, I can't remember a lot of emotion being expressed. I can't recall being told that I, lo I love you. And I can't be, recall being affirmed with, hey, you're great at this or you're great at that. I tend to remember more things along the lines of, we don't want you to get a big head. And I've already got a reasonably sized head, so that was, that kind of, that was, that was memorable for me, just to, you know, keep you grounded, keep you earthed, keep you humble. That was, that was the overwhelming kind of theme rather than I want to build you up or, give, or put confidence into you. So I didn't realize what that did to me until I got, or, or what that, um, opened me up to 
until I got into year seven and eight, and in primary school, I was at a great little school, and I was, I was a leader, and I was good at sport, and I was popular, and I had lots of friends, uh, and I was a pretty sensitive kid, and I was quite kind, and so our, our year it was a beautiful year of friends, and I left that school, and I went to, the, to a, a grammar school, and, and it was half an hour away, and I knew nobody there, and a lot of the kids had gone through primary school together, and, and, and we, were, we were relatively poor. Uh, we were on a farm struggling to keep, make ends meet. I was wearing hand-me-down clothes from my older brother uh, to, to school. It was obvious that we weren't that well-to-do, and, and I would rock up to school, and other kids would be dropped off in their Jags and their, Mercer, their Mercedes and talking about their, their, the jacuzzi they were in last night and the, the, you know, the, the, the private overseas holiday they'd gone on to, and it became very obvious that I was a different-class citizen. And probably because of the lack of affirmation and words of affirmation for my heart, because just on a side note, I believe that the role of a parent and a father is to, is particularly is to build confidence into our kids so that when we hit all the crap that the world's going to throw at us, that there's a protective coating uh, that, of confidence that's built into our heart. Uh, and now, not all of us have been fortunate enough to have that, and we have to go on a, dis- a discovery of discovering our Father in heaven who speaks confidence and love and words into our life, okay? And so, but for me, I was kind of vulnerable, and so what happened, I encountered what you would call, what we would call these days bullying, and, and really it, it kind of knocked me around and knocked my confidence around, and it, it reinforced this lie that I'm inferior, didn't realize it at the time because you, you never do, but it just I reinforced that lie. And so that lie over time began to manifest for me in different moments where someone more successful than me, I, I just, I'd feel like, why even bother trying to do that? Why even, I'll never compete and I shouldn't compete. And it just manifested in that lie. And so bringing you back to this moment, um, and, and you know, and the guys were sarcastic and you know, that's teenage kids and adolescents, everyone's trying to work it out and so I was the brunt of stuff and it was just, there was a lot of pain in that moment. Bring it back to, to this moment at the front of church and God saying, I want you to forgive these guys because the unforgiveness is a blockage to my love pouring into your life. And then on a deeper level, I want you to forgive your parents and I'm like, Why would I need to forgive my parents? They're awesome. I want you to forgive your parents for not speaking affirmation and I love you over you. And and that began, and I've shared about this before, that began a journey of me beginning to speak affirmation back and saying I love you and a transformation over the next 20 years in my relationship with my parents to to the expression of what I knew what was in their heart. So that that was powerful. But as I'm standing there, I just began to make the choice. Okay, I forgive this person by name. I forgive this person. I forgive this person. And I forgive mum and dad for not saying that. And then I felt like the Lord said, and now what I want you to do is I want you to say what I see over you. You're my son, whom I love and whom I'm well pleased with. And I began to just say what God was whispering to my heart about myself. And suddenly, whoosh, the sense of God's love and affirmation and presence flooded my heart. And it began a journey for me of ongoing forgiveness an ongoing experiencing of God's love, and an ongoing uh, the, the learning the journey of how to overcome intimidation. Wow. And so today I want to talk about this whole realm of forgiveness, of releasing, because often the lie that we believe about ourselves is linked to something that someone else either said, didn't say, or an experience that I've had. And there's a, there's a link. So we can't just repent of believing a lie. 
without releasing someone else from forgiveness. They're usually locked up together. It's almost like the lie that's buried in my heart is, is, is imprisoned by my feeling towards somebody else. And if I'm going to get the lie out, I've got to get the feeling that I've got out as well. And it's interesting because I know many of us have stood on an altar like this one. Come to Encounter Day, come to church. We've heard the truth that if I want to be forgiven by God, I must forgive everybody else. We've heard that maybe the truth that forgiveness is a decision and we're like, great, I forgive little Freddy out of grade eight for punching me in the head and wrecking my life. I forgive him. And we're like, tick, I forgave him because I said it. But we don't realize that often forgiveness is a journey that starts with a moment, but it's a journey. And it's a journey of allowing God to release the pain and anger that comes from being hurt, that so often, because of social cues, we bury, and we just, we don't want to recognize it, and we push it down, and some, and for some of us, it, it comes out in all sorts of different ways. What happened for me, I, once I left that school of two years, I went to a Christian school in Toowoomba, and, and I was different. I was more cynical. I was more harsh. I was more, I, I was more on the front foot. And, and really, I didn't realize it, but it was because I was carrying pain. And it changed the way I related to people. I was very different from what I was in grade six. Still at core, the same kid, but now I'm treating people differently. And maybe you've had that experience of treating people differently or maybe putting up the walls because you don't want to get hurt again. And that's not the way God wants us to live. And so the, the important thing that I want, I want to give us five simple steps today uh, that will help us go on our forgiveness journey that, that may actually take six months until I really am free. It might take longer, it might take shorter. But I'm linking this as the second step of breaking intimidation. So here's the, th here's the thing. The first thing is we make a decision to forgive and we confess that decision daily. It's not a one-off moment. Jesus said in Matthew 6 verse 12, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sin. If someone's hurt you deeply, you probably aren't ready just to let that go. Uh, you're probably holding on to anger pretty tightly. It's, it's human nature. It's, it's natural. It's the way we're wired. Uh, but what we've got to remember is holding on to that anger doesn't hurt the other person. It hurts us. It produces all kinds of stress chemicals that flood your body, make you sick physically and emotionally. Unforgiveness is a, is a cancer emotionally that will eat away at your heart if you don't deal with it. Robert, Dr. Robert Enright is the co-founder of the International Forgiveness Institute. I've been reading about him this week. Dr. Enright, they call him the unquestioned pioneer of the scientific study of forgiveness. The forgiveness trailblazer, Time Magazine causes him. He's often introduced as the father of forgiveness research because for 25 years he's been doing academic research of what, of what a forgiveness program can do in a person's life. 
Essentially, he'll get two groups of people who have had the same kind of experience. Trauma victims, abuse victims, all sorts of different people in different situations, and he'll get two groups. One, he'll take on a forgiveness journey, and the other he won't. And at the end of the period of time, scientifically, it's all validated. They'll do a study of the different, of the different reaction of the, between the two groups. And it, consistently over and over again, the group that goes on the forgiveness journey show better emotional health, reduced anger, reduced anxiety, reduced depression, reduced PTSD symptoms, increased hopefulness about the future, and greater levels of self-esteem than the group who didn't go on the forgiveness journey. The forgiveness journey is about you walking into a new day for your life rather than what's going to happen to the other person. Okay, so it's a decision. It's a decision. That's what we, we start with. The second part of it, uh, this is where it helps to be a Christian. You just ask the Holy Spirit to help you. It's a prayer. So on a daily basis, I've asked, I repent of those lies that I believed and the action as a result, and I've made a decision to release so-and-so from my judgment. I forgive them daily, and Holy Spirit, will you help me? Will you help the feelings of forgiveness come? not just the decision. And the Holy Spirit loves when you ask Him to help you because He will help you. The third step is we release the pain and the anger of our hurt to God. Some of you, it'd be great if you're writing this in a little booklet because it'll help you on a daily basis as you use this booklet. We've intentionally had the release one on the inside so no one has to see the names or who you're releasing from forgiveness, all right? Don't look in your partners in case you're in there. Release the pain. So often people come to church and they say this to, and, and they'll say to me afterwards, I cried during worship. I couldn't stop crying as I was here. What, what is that? And this is what's happening. This, tears is pain leaving your soul. So what happens if you're a cup, if you're like a glass that's filled with pain, what happens when you get into the presence of God is his love begins to pour into you. And as his love pours into you, the pain goes out. God's love's heavier than your pain. His love pours in and the pain just has to overflow. That's what tears are. Tears are God's way. And the Bible says he catches every tear. There's nothing you've been through that's insignificant to your Father in heaven's perspective. He catches every tear. And I know even through the first service, I know through this service, the Holy Spirit will be working on people and bringing pain to the surface. And it's okay. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31 and 32 says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I find that fascinating that it says this, get rid of all anger, get rid of bitterness, get rid of rage. It doesn't say don't be angry. It just says get rid of anger. The Bible says don't be be angry and, and sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So if there's residual anger in me and pain, I've got to get rid of it. So here's the question. How do I get rid of it? Well, first of all, I've got to acknowledge that it's in there. Pain and anger's in there. I don't know about you, but I've had moments where things come out of me that I'm, I'm not proud of that were an overreaction to what just happened in the moment. And I realized that something in me has been triggered that's deeper down inside of me. 
And I'm, I'm like flying off the handle. I'm saying things I shouldn't be saying. And I realized it wasn't just because that driver cut me off. It was because of things that have been building up in my life for years. And often someone who's got an anger problem has got things that have built up that it's time to get rid of. Get rid of is the word. So how do I get rid of it? Well, you've got to get it out of your soul. And it can be painful because you're now, you're re-acknowledging things that you'd prefer not to talk about. And you'd prefer to say, well, I made that choice. I forgave them. I should be better now. But it's a journey. So the journey, there's a number of ways it can happen. Okay, how do I get rid of anger? I'll say, I'll just, this is how you don't get rid of anger. You don't get rid of anger by texting the person who hurt you and expressing all your anger to them. Because that, that, doesn't, that doesn't get rid of it, that just fuels it and puts fire on it, okay? You don't get rid of anger by ringing them up and saying, I can't believe them, okay? That, that's not how you react. That's not getting rid of anger. That's fueling it, okay? You get rid of anger by getting it out of you. And there's a number of ways. It'll be, depend on every one of us in this room. For me, one of the things, there's a few things that have worked. Sometimes it's just in prayer and worship and I'm just saying, God, this is what happened. God, I'm, 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 I got hurt. That was painful. I give that over to you. And there'll be tears, sometimes ugly tears, and that's okay. I've been to a psychologist, a Christian psychologist, to talk about things. Same thing, build up of anger and resentment bursting out in tears didn't realize that was in there why was that in there and then it's like oh the holy spirit uses someone to put their finger on that's where that's come from let it out let it out get rid of let it out sometimes writing it out can be really good this is probably one of my favorite i actually do this pretty regularly so that anger doesn't get stuck in me so i just like and i've, I've got a little folder that no one should see in my laptop of letters that I've written over a period of time just because I quickly want to deal with stuff. I just, I don't want that to settle inside me. I want to get it out. And I find the exercise of writing takes my feelings and expresses them and I always feel lighter afterwards. It's amazing. That can be really powerful. Uh, I don't send those letters, just letting you know. Okay. The court system has something that I think is very powerful. It's a victim statement. So that someone who's done something that's worthy of imprisonment can hear the impact of what's happened to a person. But it doesn't, that's not what we always need to do. It's more about getting it out of us. Maybe it can be through your connect group. Maybe as you meet and go on this journey together with your connect group, I know numbers of connect groups, and when you talk about who I'm praying and forgiving every day, you can share who that is and there can be healing in that moment. Maybe it's a support group because you need to get with people who have experienced the depth of the same kind of pain. And as you get together with those kind of people, you can, you can be, draw strength from one another because they came through that, you can come through that. Whatever it is, don't deny it, don't suppress it, find a way to get rid of it. You will pay for it, it will come out one way or the other. It'll either come out because we get it out or it'll come out in our body, our emotional world, physically or in our relationships. So that's the third step, release the pain. So when you're praying, God, I release the pain. I forgive that person. Help me, Holy Spirit. I release the pain of them hurting me. That pain, that's a, that's a separate journey. Number, step number four, there's two more. 
Well, part of releasing the pain is what's often called reframing. That's where you just ask God, so help me to see that from their point of view. That helped me so much with my parents. Because I'm like, well, God just showed me that's the way they grew up. They weren't in homes of expression of love. They weren't in homes of affirmation. They, they, they grew up with a British tradition of a stiff upper lip and just push your way through everything and we don't talk about our feelings. So, so when I realized that there was no intention to cause pain by not saying certain things, it was just, it's like, oh, that makes it a lot easier to forgive. Maybe your father did something because his father did that. Maybe your father didn't do something because it was never modeled. Maybe, maybe someone close to you is acting a certain way because of what happened to them. You've heard this expression, hurt people hurt people. And all of us hurt other people out of our own hurt. That's why church is about changing generations, dealing with the pain so we don't perpetuate the pain of, for, of former generations. So we reframe. Jesus did that. He's like, Father, forgive them. Well, they nailed him to the cross because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know I'm the son of God. They don't know what they're doing right now. He's reframing their sin and their guilt and saying, okay. And so if we do that, okay, that's why you did that. And sometimes God can help us to look for the good in a person. That helps the forgiveness journey. Okay, I'm going to release the pain, but I'm going to focus on the good. The last thing is, I want you... uh, Oh no, sorry, step four, pray for them daily, just real quickly, Matthew 5, 44. But I say, love your enemies, Jesus said. Pray for those who persecute you. The aim of forgiveness is not so that you'll be reconciled particularly. Someone mightn't even be alive, you can't be reconciled. But you can, if, if they are alive, you can pray, God, bless them. Holy Spirit's helping you. God bless them. You pray for them. You don't pray the prayer that I've been tempted to pray. Oh, smite them, almighty smiter. That's not what I'm talking about. God bless them with a two by four. No, 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 no. Not that prayer. God, would you bless them? God, would you heal them? God, would you show your love to them? That's a prayer you pray. You pray that every day, you're going to find that stuff's just getting out of you, you'll be lighter, you'll be different. Last thing is, I want you to see yourself giving that person, so visualize yourself giving that person the gift of forgiveness. A gift. I'll read this out. When you forgive someone who's deeply hurt you, you let go of resentment and the urge to seek revenge, no matter how deserving of these things the wrongdoer may be. You give the great gifts of acceptance, generosity, and love. Though the wrongdoer does not deserve these gifts, you don't let that stand in your way. You give not out of pity, not through clenched teeth, not out of grim obligation. Rather, you give because you have chosen to have a merciful heart, a heart with the power to free yourself so you can live a better life. And if you can visualize yourself every day, now it might take a little while to give to this, but God, I'm, help me, Holy Spirit. I'm releasing the anger. I pray for your blessing on that person. And, I, and you say the words, I'm giving so-and-so the gift of forgiveness. It's a gift. You don't deserve it, but I'm giving it to you. Sometimes God will give you the opportunity to actually do that in real life, which will really set you free. But often you don't need to. It's just an internal reconciliation and it's the it's the journey of forgiveness
Can we close our eyes together right now? If you can go on the journey of forgiveness, you're going to get set free from the prison of resentment. You're going to break the legal power that the spirit of intimidation can have in your life because of repentance and releasing people. You might even get healed because your body's paying the price of your unforgiveness. Holy Spirit, in this room, do a deep work in our hearts. If today you're making a choice to forgive somebody, not because they deserve it, but because God's asking you to, or if you know you've made the choice but you haven't gone on the journey of releasing the pain and being reconciled in your heart, I just want you to raise your hand wherever you are and say, that's me. Just raise your hand up and say, that's me. I'm going to go on this journey. Raise it up. Say, yep, I'm going to go on this journey. I'm going to go on this journey. So many hands. So awesome. So awesome. Father, help us. Help us to get free. Help us to release so we can get free from intimidation. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. God bless you, church. You're amazing. Going to be back tonight preaching a very similar message. You might want to come to let this get deeper and deeper into you. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you.